Hey everyone, we have an excellent talk for you today with some heavy hitters from the world of sound design for animated features. This talk was done in person over at Warner Brothers in Burbank, California. It was really great to get all these people together in one room for this talk. But before we play the interview, I wanted to throw out one last invite to our listeners in the Toronto area to come on out to our sound design meetup on this coming Tuesday, September 26th at 7 p.m. It will be at the Pilot near Bay and Bloor. Head on up to their top floor balcony to hang out with the sound community and meet old friends and make some new ones. New York listeners are up next as we are hosting a gathering in New York City on October 26th at the Crompton Ale House in Chelsea. Okay, let's get to it now. Here is a clip with some really great sound design from DC League of Super Pets. so fast. Lois Lane told us all about you, hamster. Hamster? A hamster is, is a hacky sack. A hamster is a mouse that had too much for lunch. We are guinea pigs. And when we're through with you, Buster, you'll know it. Welcome to Tonebender Sound Design Podcast, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, games, and series. My name is Tim Muirhead, and I will be your host for today as we talk about the difficult craft of making sound design for feature-length animation projects. A few years back, we did an episode on animated series for children, and if you enjoy this talk, I encourage you to go search that episode out. It's episode 163 to go further down this rabbit hole. But for today, we are lucky enough to be at Warner Brothers, sitting in their ADR Stage 2 in Burbank, California, for this in-person talk, and we have some of the best talent for the most recent popular animated series. I'm really excited for this talk. So uh, we have a lot to talk about, so let's introduce our guests right away. We have five different guests, so to help listeners kind of latch on to whose voice is whose, I will introduce each of them and then let them tell you about the recent project they worked on and what their role was. So first up, uh, we have a returning guest, Julian Slater. He was previously on Tonebenders in episode 148, talking about one of my personal favorite films, a non-animated film, but Scott Pilgrim, a true love of my film career, not my film career, his film career. Uh, it's great to have you back, Julian. Uh, tell us about your animated project recently. Hello, thanks for having me. I was the co-sound supervisor on Puss in Boots and The Bad Guys, along with Jay Jennings, and also the re-recording mixer, along with uh, a couple of other guys. So, yeah. Thanks for uh, coming back. That's awesome. I love The Bad Guys. It was super fun. Next up, we have Jesse Pariso. Jesse was previously on the show to talk about Trolls World Tour in episode 136. Jesse, uh, what animated feature have you worked on since Trolls? Uh, the last one that I was working on was uh, DC League of Super Pets. I was a supervising Foley editor and co-supervising sound editor. Yes, and uh, that leads us to our next guest. 
Uh, Bill Dean is with us today. Bill, this is my first time meeting you. It's great to have you on. Welcome to the show. Uh, do you want to tell us about working on League of Super Pets? Oh yeah, DC League of Super Pets was a terrific show, and it was it was great to have Jesse as a co-soup as well as Ando Johnson, who couldn't be here because he's too busy. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to talk a lot about it, so don't you worry. We also have Justin Davey, who is a first-time guest. Uh, what film are you here to share your experience with, Justin? I was one of two supervising sound editors and re-recording mixers on My Father's Dragon for a cartoon saloon film for Netflix. My co-supervisor, Zach Sievers, is unfortunately busy on a recording trip under headphones in the middle of nowhere somewhere for a very cool upcoming show he's doing for Searchlight, but we co-souped and mixed My Father's Dragon. Okay, and finally we have Jay Jennings. Jay is a bit of the all-star here because he worked with a bunch of the other panelists on I think three of the different films that have already been mentioned. Jay, it's great to finally have you on Tone Benders. It's great to be on, thanks for having me on. As Julian mentioned, we co-supervised together The Bad Guys for DreamWorks as well as Puss in Boots The Last Wish for DreamWorks and also worked with Justin on My Father's Dragon. That's why all the movies were good. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's get down to it. The fun of an animated film is that we get to decide how everything sounds. We can get as zany as we want, we can go as over the top as we want, and we can also get as realistic as we want. But the truth is the sounds have to stick to the picture that we're provided to work with. But that's the tricky concept, because how do you know when it sticks? The answer is you know when it works because it works. But what if it works for you and it doesn't work for the director? Well, as you say, it is a project by project situation. Sometimes you feel like you've really designed the perfect sound and it and it's working to the picture and and you think, well, this is it, I nailed it, I can move on to the next thing. And then you have your review with the director or the producer or picture editor and they say, yeah, it's just, that's not really quite working. So in that respect, animation and live action are really no different from each other. You have to drop that idea and just abandon that, abandon that ship and go back to the drawing board and start over again. I would say we were quite lucky, though, with regards to both our shows that we worked on and that the directors were pretty much in sync with how we saw sounds. And it wasn't, I mean, the thing with animation, and it was a bit of a discovery for for me personally, because I hadn't done an animated feature for a long, long time. And I had said to DreamWorks very boldly when they approached me, well, there's no difference between, you know, people ask me, you know, have you done, you don't seem to have a much, you know, long credit list of animated shows. And I'd say, well, it it really doesn't matter because... We are there to help tell a story with sound, sound design and and sound mixing. That does hold true for both live action and for animation, but the level of detail that goes into these animated features can be overwhelming, not only with the content, but when it comes to the mix. So there is that aspect of, because, you know, these animated features have so much action in them Mm -hmm. and there's so much detail and the picture is so rich and we obviously want to get across as much of that audio information as possible, yet, you know, not make an onslaught to the ears, so... That's what I found to be the interesting challenge of those projects, which obviously helps if you have a director who thinks of sound the same way as both me and Jay did. You know, another quick aspect about having the the image, the sound stick to the picture is animated films are a little bit different. And sometimes you start when the animation is still really rough, as you know. The Bad Guys was one of those films where the first 20 minutes or so was pretty well dialed in. You know, it was all lit and textures were there and... It was like working to a final finished shot. So getting sounds to stick to that was much easier, I think. But then you get into the later reels where there's still sometimes storyboard. And then you have to just kind of go with concept ideas and, and wait and see, you know, what's going to happen. <laughs> well, the other thing about designing to storyboard, which can be kind of freeing at times, is then it turns into animation and all of a sudden 
it might not be that the director doesn't love the sound you've made, but now you're looking at something that no longer works with the sound that you've made. True. On, on our show, we were very lucky in that we started really early. Zach and I were connected to the project for three years before they really, really got into physical production with it. So we were working against some really rough animation in the beginning, and that helped, I think, establish our style with the director. And, and fortunately, we were just in sync with Nora Twomey, our, our fantastic director. We didn't have a whole lot of almost no wholesale start again mm -hmm. throughout the process. But I think the key to that when your director isn't pleased with something or wants something else is to go back to what our essential skill is and just listen mm -hmm. and try and figure out what it is exactly that they're looking for. Some directors are more or less articulate with their ability to communicate in, in sound. You know, you may be able to hold on to pieces of it or it may be a let's, let's try a complete new approach. So in League of Super Pets specifically, there are a lot of superpowers going on. <laughs> it's almost not fair. Like, like <laughs> Captain America's got like one character going on most of the time. You guys, the, there's a million different guinea pigs. There's like 17 of them that all have their own superpowers, plus all of the main character of the pets and then all of the actual superheroes. It doesn't sound exactly the same as the live action version. Right. So how do you go about uh, taking inspiration from that, but also making it animated? Well, one of the things that, as far as sound design went between Eric Ocampo, Kip Smedley, as well as myself dabbling a little bit in there as well, and Ando Johnson was, we're referencing, okay, what do the directors have in their guide track and what do they think that they want to hear? You know, so it's like we kind of build on that. It's like, okay, now they pulled the Richard Donner sound for, you know, the heat vision for Superman. So what in essence of that is that what they're pulling from? You know, it's like, okay, there's a steady kind of very sci-fi tone. So, you know, Eric kind of took that idea and was like, they want to have something that's very over the top that says Superman's superpower recognizable. And so he took that and he kind of melded that into its own thing that's even grander. And luckily the directors were like, oh, this is awesome. Okay, great, that's cool. And then some of the other powers that we came up with, you know, Ando had just spent a lot of time working on the Snyder Cut. And he was like, I don't know all the stuff that Wonder Woman has and her rope and all of that. So I'll make things that are very similar to that, you know, so we can connect it to the DC Live feature. And a lot of that stuff stuck. You know, when we were doing reviews, we would do weekly or bi-weekly reviews over the internet with our animation director, Sam, was up in, uh, I think he was in Vancouver. Yeah. Is that right? And then, you know, Jared would be at his house in Idaho, and then we'd all be in our, this was early in the COVID lockdown, so we would be in our separate homes, all of us chiming in through Evercast. And we would audition these things back and forth to kind of find out where everybody wanted to go. We'd have Ando design stuff and Eric design stuff and then audition all of that material. And then we would just kind of fine tune it for what they're wanting. And we would find things that, you know, what's that, what's that sound of the jet? Well, that's actually the sound of her jet. <laughs> you know, what's, the, <laughs> what's that sound that's in the rope? Yeah, that's the harmonic sound of the rope. And sometimes they'd be like, ah, we want to do something different. Or they're like, oh, great. Okay, now that all makes sense. That ties it together. Great. So we just had to do it as a case-by-case -case basis to make Green Lantern specific to the movie, but relate if we can. We just had to serve the director's visions as well as what was in the picture we're working on. 
And just to put it on record, Super Pets is a great sounding movie. I think I said that to you. I was lucky enough to, I was brought on for like a few days just to help out with the deliverables. And it was, it's an amazing sounding movie. We were lucky to be nominated together on the MPSCs. And just to be part of that group of people is quite an honour, I have to say, because you know, the amount of work that goes into, as we all know, that these these animated features, there's an awful lot of work that goes into them. So, yeah, great great job, you two. Oh, well, an awesome crew. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic people. It's super fun. While you guys were deep in your show, I'm fortunate to, to know and be friends with many of your talented crew. And one of your crew and I, I was working on Spider-Man No Way Home at the time, and we would chat on our drives home, and without saying any detail, we would sort of look for ide odd ideas of inspiration from each other. So I'd be like, I'm working with a scene with particles. You know, and they'd be like, I'm working on a scene with rocks. And then we would throw ideas back and forth. And because it was so kind of left field, mm -hmm. it was really fun and inspiring because we would, you know, we would send each other in different directions that we hadn't thought mm -hmm. of. But yeah. sort of going back to what we were talking about in terms of COVID, where you don't have as many people around to talk to. So we were a resource for each other. Yeah. I kept trying to get his alpacas in the movie somehow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got him in the credits. Yeah, right. <laughs> All six of them. <laughs> Let's talk for a second a bit about the role Foley plays in animation. Jesse, maybe we can start with you since I think you were the Foley supervisor on one of these projects. How do you approach Foley differently for animation? There's a lot more of it. <laughs> That's the truth. So, yeah, it's like, you know, with, with live action, there's stuff you have to top. In animation, it's like, you can do whatever you want, really, and we kind of have to budget our time between what you actually need and then the cool design aspect of Foley, where, like, you can add to the big design elements or the powers, or we added, you know, some really cool icicle sounds for the ice skinny pig, and mm -hmm. you can just have a lot of fun with that, and it's, you really have to be careful of your time, though, because you can get really carried away with mm -hmm. experimenting and our directors specifically on all of our um clear views were always like well we want this and we hadn't shot fully yet it's like mm -hmm. it's coming you know we'll, we'll get it <laughs> there as soon as we can just trust us it's coming and because mm -hmm. without fully animation doesn't sound real at all and you had to be a little bit acrobatic as well because it's kind of you know you can't just cue the show shoot it and review and then you're done it's kind of like okay well this three-minute scene is ready to shoot. Yeah. <laughs> so let's do yeah. that yeah. and shoot that. And then, you know, you just kind of have to, yeah. to roll with it. And go with, like, yeah, what's lit or what, you know, if you can get answers out of them, okay, what's this surface or what's that? And the funny moments tend to change, actually, which we had a couple of times with when Crypto had Ace fall and, like, the puddle, the puddle changed, you know. <laughs> so you have to kind of be wary of that kind of stuff and go with the flow. I think we were very lucky, and I don't know how you guys work, but we, me and Jay were very lucky that we have a Foley team that are super flexible. And it's not, the, you know, the notion of blocking in three weeks of time, six months in advance, and sticking to it is just, it's, it's, it's not that at all. It's just literally, we, you know, we let them know that we're starting on this date, the mix is on this date, you know, sort of like eight months later, mm -hmm. and we just drip feed them Foley throughout that period of eight months and it's an ongoing process as opposed to it being this kind of like big chunks of time spent and then brought back. It's an evolving thing because Foley and the sound design all kind of grow and grow together as one thing. So in that regard, it's also a little different to live action where mostly it's a chunk of time booked at the back end of the process. Whereas with yeah, the animation, the cut we are, sort of settles down and yeah. then you feel comfortable about shooting the Foley. Yeah. 
Yeah. And sometimes it feels like animation. Every shot is a visual effect. Mm-hmm. Yes, because yeah. it's it's yeah. it is. It's like yeah. you just gotta... Visual effect is not done. Right. Got to keep moving and go to the next set of stuff that's ready for us to shoot. It's interesting. I agree with what Jesse said about um, without Foley, animation feels like it's not sticking to the screen. It doesn't even matter. Like Bad Guys is a good example, I think, because our director, Pierre, was very focused on... And John, too, our picture editor, was very focused on the Foley aspects of the characters. And every character in that movie had sort of a different texture. You know, like the wolf had a silk suit. And they were very specific, like, has to be silk suit. can't be cloth. And the shark, you know, he's a big guy, so he should be a little rubbery, maybe. And the snake had to have a very specific texture. So very specific texture. Very I mean, specific. that went through, through a, few, a few iterations about, yes. you know, dryness, yeah. slickness, and... So, yeah, the microscope is really on Foley. Yeah, to the point to where we were having, I think we were having Foley reviews with <laughs> yes. them yeah. sometimes, and they were like, no, that's not quite right, and that's not quite right. But, well, yeah, it's, it's really it's so important to, to get Foley happening. Speaking about the textures, mm-hmm. uh, especially in animation, because it can you can really kind of make it whatever you want. And in My Father's Dragon, we had a variety of animals. Uh, Soda the whale, mm-hmm. we had to figure out what she sounded like, and... On our show, we had a similar process that Julie mentioned where Zach brought in a a Foley company that he had worked with before called Post Red, and they did phenomenal work, and they were willing to experiment with us and work with us, and they were on board throughout the entire process, feeding us new material, feeding us material as, as the animation was completed, and we were able to do a lot of experimenting and back and forth. I think Foley is generally undervalued. It is the glue that holds, you know, you can do your cool high concept design, but if you don't have Foley that's going to ground it, then you just have this disembodied head Mm -hmm. that is floating around on screen. And then especially in animation where you have absolutely no production sound to help ground the image, it's absolutely crucial. Yeah, critical. So an aspect of, of animation is that a lot of them are meant for children. And we tend to worry about scaring children. When I took my kids to go see uh, the new Puss in Boots movie, I reached out to Jay afterwards to say how much we loved it, which we did, by the way. And Jay's first question back to me when he found out I had a six-year-old was how scared were they of the big bad wolf? And the answer was that she felt brave because she wasn't too scared. You know, So the, the decision you made to go fairly scary with it I think worked out, but I think a lot of times we're, we're scared to get scary. Uh, how do you figure out where that line is? You have to take the cues from, from your filmmakers first and foremost. I don't know about you guys, but it seems like every movie we work on, when we get to the first day of the final, because most people's ears aren't really calibrated to the levels that we're working at on a dub stage, you know, 85 dB. So we start to play, we start to mix, and, and there's always somebody in the room like, is this kind of the level that we're supposed to be at? And you have to then you have to do a bit of educating. Like, yes, this is this is normal. This is 85 dB. And if it gets too loud, then we'll definitely start pulling it back. But this is a normal theatrical level. So you have to start there and then take your cues from your filmmakers and you start to read them. You know, if you're mixing a scene like the the wolf scene where he fights puss, I felt like that needed to be bold and strong and an action sequence, you know, not like for little kids, but make it for anybody, make it exciting. Because clearly the image is exciting and the animators went way out of their way to make it super cool. So why should we not do the same thing? I don't, I don't recall us ever actually being told to rein it in. No, I, mean, I don't think so either. With regards to scariness for kids. I for, mean, yeah, that's I, right. Yeah. But we did have the discussion yeah, we about had it. Dis- like, how far can we push this? Yeah. 
that was a discussion we had, you know, when we were doing the sound design for the wolf. That was and all the you know, blades and all the growls and all that, um, and also in the mix. Uh, and they said, like, this needs to be a moment. So, yeah, we didn't pull back. I mean, we got Same thing for bad guys, too, uh, yeah. with the action sequences were meant, like, their references for that movie were action movies. Like, we want this to sound like an action movie, so let's make it sound like one. And it does. That's what it's we did. Excellent. <laughs> it's oh, it's got pop and grit and yeah. texture and energy. and Yeah, they really wanted that thing to be rocking the theater. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I think this self-governance, we have our own self-governance of it being a pleasant mix and not being egregiously loud and, you know, but with regards to any cuffs being put on us, it was very open-ended, which I was actually quite surprised about having not done a, a feature animated movie for quite some time prior to Bad Guys and never worked with DreamWorks before. Mm-hmm. It was really not a question of this is this is for kids specifically for for younger children so please bear that in mind it was they really wanted it to appeal to a broad audience and That's not right. just one particular age group we had a similar directive from Nora our director on my father's dragon zach has two boys so his own meter for what's scary to kids sort of based on their experience mm-hmm. and in preparation for it, I had talked to a few other people who had done bigger movies that would have younger ears listening, ended up doing none of those things. Nora was very much into just letting it rip and letting it be. I mean, our first design reviews, I was kind of pushing things because I just wanted her to really be able to reach through the design and know everything that was there. And none of that got pulled back because she liked it. She liked the energy of it. She liked the intensity of it. She has a lot of faith in a young audience. I would say correctly so. Mm-hmm. And there's even one or two sounds in that film where now I listen to it and I'm like, you know, we maybe <laughs> maybe that's a notch harsh or, nah. or too loud, but it, it was fun. Yeah, we, we started having a conversation about where we were going to steer in terms of intensity, and we went further. On DC Super Pets, we were very cognizant very early on of the kind of the range of dynamics. I shouldn't say dynamic range, but the range of dynamics that are tolerated by the Warner Animation Group and things like that. And they definitely didn't want the movie to just be for kids, but they wanted it to be acceptable for kids. And so we kind of reserved our big punch for the big punch. (laughs) It's like if you've seen the movie, there's there's a big moment where Crypto the hero basically just obliterates the villain, doesn't kill them, takes all their powers away. (laughs) You know, we really saved the loudest moment for that. And the rest of the movie is more restrained, but all of the detail still carries through because Tim and Dean, our re-recording mixers, worked really, really hard to maintain the detail, but just to make it not needles in the ears and things like that. And so it's it's a very pleasant movie to watch. And then when that moment happens, it's it happens. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's very quick and it's over and it's like, oh, oh, wow. So it's it was, that was a fun way to approach it because we kind of, we knew going in, it's like we've got to make this for all of the audiences as far as a decibel sustained level. But that one moment when crypto wins it has to right up to the, the roof. <laughs> and also just going back to that thing I said earlier about the content, because there is so much action in these movies, mm-hmm. it is very easy to kind of let things slip and you start off at you know this level here then go a bit louder and then a bit louder. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, yeah. the mix is starting to get away from you. And, mm-hmm. and with so much action... Over the course of, you know, most animated movies are, are 90 minutes, not the two and a half hours. So mm-hmm. a small amount, a reasonably small amount of time and a lot of action. 
So there is the potential to let levels run away very easily and quickly. So <laughs> I think we're all cognizant of that. Right. Right. Julian, as someone who's mixed the bad guys and Puss in Boots, as you're saying, there's so much content on screen. Do you ever run into a situation where you've got to make choices on the mix stage? Yeah. How do you go about that? And does that differ in animation versus live action at all? Or I reserve the right to change my mind at any time before I say this. <laughs> I, I, I don't think, I think it's the same as live action, whereby you take it on a case-by-case -case basis. And it's what is important for the story and for the audience at that particular time. And just trying to figure out the best way to make that work, whether it is dropping some sound design, whether it is editing music in some cases, whether it is general levels of things. I mean, there's obviously there's a bunch of different ways to do that. It's definitely a case-by-case -case thing, and we all know it as soon as you put the reel up and you, you everything up. I don't know how you guys were, but you know, I'd like to kind of run the reel with everything up just as a run-through, and we can get a heads-up of what the areas that are naturally working and the areas that are not working so naturally <laughs> and then you like I say you take it as a case-by-case -case basis but I think it's pretty clear even at that stage that there's an awful lot of content at a particular moment and these are the areas that are going to require a bit more work than some of the others. The way that editorial is prepped is a huge part of that. Whenever I'm working sound design and, and prepping editorial I try to be extremely focused and not do a lot of layering unless layering is you know required but it's usually about how can I find the one or two or three sounds that are really going to make the story go so that you can hit those and then move on to the next thing and kind of stay out of the way of everybody else. Like Puss in Boots, the opening number is a great example of that because it's so music driven, right? It's like, it's basically a musical number. You see a lot of stuff happening on the screen, but that doesn't mean that every single one of those things needs a sound. You just want to pick out the few things, like there's a guy that falls on a table in the back. Well, maybe we'll get that guy, just the bottle. Like you don't even need the body fall. Or, you know, Puss does something cool flourish with his um, sword. And we just hit the little flourish and a couple of musical notes on that and move on to the next thing. So if you can prepare it that way and feel confident about the integrity of the tracks and you've covered enough, well, then you get to the mix, then you know for sure that the sound design is not going to be cluttering because it's just as targeted as it, as it can be. And also, we kind of touched on it earlier. You mentioned about your two week, every two weeks doing mm -hmm. a review. Mm -hmm. That's kind of one of the bigger differences I found is the reviewing. On an animated projects, the creatives are doing reviews with you on a much more regular basis than on live action. And so by the time you get to that mix stage, Pretty much every sound has been mm -hmm. signed off. The foley, the ambiences, everything has been signed off at that point in time by the director and the producers. So we know what the target is. And it's really just a question of the, the balancing of the levels as opposed to, oh, this sound doesn't work. Let's try mm -hmm. something else. Because by that point, everything has been signed off in triplicate. Why do you think it is that you're uh, doing more reviews with animation? You know, I, I just presume it's just the, the, how those guys work because they're used to working in that much more kind of microscopic detail. I mean, I say that Puss in Boots, because of its journey to the point when it got to us, whereby there was much less time, our review process on Bad Guys, we were reviewing a lot. And, right. and we, me and Jay were quite... I was quite taken aback by the amount of reviews over and over again. And we kind of braced ourselves for it on Puss in Boots, but it wasn't the case at all. Different filmmakers had a different way of looking at it. And they were so busy on getting the pictures sorted and the 
picture editorial, yeah. once you know they started to get stuff from us and they just seemed to relax with the whole process, mm-hmm. it wasn't quite as involved on Puss in Boots as it was on bad guys but still you know everything was signed off well in advance of the mix yeah that's really the gold standard that's the goal you by the time you get to the final <laughs> mix you don't want anybody in the room going what's that i've never heard that sound before it should be a part of their movie already ideally sure in their all. tracks yeah, yeah. 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 Well, i was just gonna say that, in the that avid. that's it's one nice. thing with with live action animation whatever it is the sooner you can get the sound design or the you know the all the mix into the avid the better because then it becomes the movie and not just like some sound design that's floating around. It becomes a part of their story, and then they become attached to it, and that's the goal. Like, we're all trying to tell the same story, and you can't do that if your stuff isn't a part of their film. It's also very helpful to get back the material from them yeah. in an AAF and look at it and see, oh, I, they moved this here, and they, they, just, they used this sound for that thing instead, and it can be informative and give you a window and insight into their thinking on the process. It's a whole different type of communication between the departments. Nonverbal, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, that's always kind of the win as well. If you're reviewing something and they're like, oh, that's great. And then it's like, okay, we'll send that off to you. And then they get it in there. And then it's kind of like, okay, next thing up. Next thing up. <laughs> and right. they, get to, they get a chance to live with it then to mm-hmm. the mix where they've been, you know, we're not usually on at the very beginning. So they're sitting with their sounds for years sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then finally we start giving it to them and they have time to get used to it. That's mm-hmm. the benefit of doing those reviews every week, you know. That's how the dog got cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how we kept my dog is crypto in the movie. Amazing. Yeah, and they had these temp dogs and none of them were the same. And so I just we auditioned a couple and mm-hmm. uh he won. Man, those residual <laughs> checks must be awesome. I wish. <laughs> they come as dog bones, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> I'll never show them a picture because he's much smaller than the dog they modeled it after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you don't play it against a dog that's bigger, they don't know. <laughs> that's right. He's he's short and tough, kind of yeah. like Jason Statham. He's got know? a big bark. Yeah. <laughs> something I find when I'm doing sound for animation, and this is not something I'm proud of, but I'm wondering if any of you have uh, experienced the same thing. I get sometimes like sound minor tunnel hearing, I guess not tunnel vision, uh, where I'm like, this is an animated thing. I have to design something. Where sometimes on a non-animated project, I'll get out my mics and be recording new things instead of trying to manipulate. I'm wondering if you all ever have that experience of getting kind of locked into how sound design for animation is supposed to be. I would say sometimes yes and sometimes no. Uh, That's kind of a (laughs) cop-out response. But you kind of want to start first with the tools you have at hand, right? And so if you've got a lot of things in your sound minor kit in your library that you're like oh i can really work on this design sequence and then maybe you can then find where you've got holes that you need to go and get new things in defense of your method i think that's probably where you're going from is like okay let me see if i can design something super unique with the tools that i have and then see if i need to go out and record you know because recording takes time and organization and you're not sure of the environment that you're going to go into because on super pets we had to do that we had to record Bodie, your dog yeah. and so that turned into probably months long process yeah. that you were like okay the postman's coming by <laughs> Got to get the mics ready because he's going to get really angry. I have we need actually really... done this. Yeah, Lock exactly. the dog in a room with 100K <laughs> yeah. and let him whine and bark for 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we accidentally got the 
there's a part where he gets hit by a car and my friend was trying to get sounds out of him and she just grabbed him the wrong way and stuff. Method. Horrible sound. Aww. And then I got cut out of the movie. Right. Because like, oh. it was too frightening. It was too frightening for too kids. Frightening. Too real. Yeah, it was too real. So they changed it to like the actor's effort instead. Oh, yeah. I also don't think your method is wrong or anything to be, you know, we all have recordings that we've made that are phenomenal and just lend themselves to being used in various ways. And then oftentimes, I think Jay, you and I actually talked about this on My Father's Dragon, the little sequence with the rocks. And we were talking about recordings we had and you said, you know what, it's just going to be easier if I just record it. And in that situation, that was the right choice. And, you know, sometimes you do a crazy plug-in chain or uh, actually... Here's something that was a total bust that I did. I spent an entire day, was trying to make these really cool sounds. I got radium going, feeding that to Reaper, stuff going on in Reaper, feeding that into Pro Tools. It was this whole ridiculous chain of stuff. I made all these sounds. They were so cool. I put them in the movie the next day. None of them worked. They all got thrown out. <laughs> but you have saved them for the but next movie. the next movie, yeah, they'll be useful for them. <laughs> Waiting in the wings. <laughs> I think sometimes it's driven by by the budget of time that you have to work with, right? And especially in television animation versus feature animation, you're you're much more constrained and restrained as far as the allotment of time. Like, what do you have? Four days a week, week and a half to cut everything in a show like that? That's a lot of material. And if you can get it done with sounds that you already have at your disposal, then that really is the most efficient way to go. And also thinking about what's the context that these sounds are going to be heard in and played in. Are they going to be featured? Are they going to be like the only thing that someone hears? Or are they sort of supporting actor roles and they can afford to be, you know, maybe it's not like the best sound, but it'll work. Right, and then I have to move on because I have so many other things to do. Yeah, I was going to say that's. T I mean, time management. Time that, management. Yeah, time management is so important. I always think of it as a you've got a Rolodex. You've got to know yourself which is the stuff you concentrate on, which is the stuff you put mm -hmm. on the back burner. Within that process of you know six or seven months, say, there are certain things that you focus on, certain things you can put on the back burner, and deal with those later. And I think time management is so important because there is so much stuff one could very easily get drowned out in trying to hit the target on every single sound all the time from day one. And then you end up with half a movie not cut when yes. it's time yeah. for pre-dubs. Yeah. So you've got to get something on the page. Like, you've got to get something on the page. You can always come back to it, but you've got to get something on there. The other thing I wanted to say about recording is I like to think about it like with both Puss in Boots and Dragon, there were a couple of things in those movies that really needed to be star players. Like, the island sinking and rising, that had to be something that was really unique to that film. So we recorded for many hours all kinds of wood cracking and creaking and... Wicker furniture. Wicker styrofoam. baskets. And yeah. And we had what, like 15 microphones? We we had 10, 10 microphones, 200 Ks. We, we had 1,525. I believe we had 10. We had 200 Ks and then also two uh, LOM micro USIs that you know, are, are known to go up to 70. Oh, you got some, you got Uzi Pros right now? I got Uzi Pros on it. That's what I'm, but the, my backpack's got the micros in it. Sorry. Shout Dang out to Jonas. And uh, <laughs> those actually I find to be a wonderful bridge between what the 100K can reach for and something like my, my Sheps. Yeah, we spent a ton of time recording that. And then we had a wealth of material to play with and pitch and crush and recrush and right. re-parallel and all that jazz. But it was worth it because absolutely that needed to be something that was unique to that film. And we could have easily done it with library sound effects or sounds that already existed in my personal library or your personal library. But that's like the craft of it is that's the fun part. 
is like, let's just get our hands dirty and make something new. Like you don't want to recycle things more than you need to. And it truly is the fun. Like we had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> we had a, a grand old time destroying things. And you brought an axe and Yes, I brought an axe. And the end result is <laughs> he is brings an axe. He's got that. We'll move on through that. <laughs> the uh, the end result is something that's very signature to that film and and specific to mm -hmm. it. To get real nerdy and granular, I'm sure many people are using a beta of Soundminer 6 right now, and I can relate to a tunnel vision in Soundminer when you're jumping between databases, because you're in a database, you're working with that database. Soundminer 6 has tabs. Nice. So you can have multiple databases going at the same time. You can search one at a time or all of them together with a keyword, mm. and it's Justin Drury, we love you. Yes. Yeah. More bourbon <laughs> heading your way. Is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that anyone wants to bring up? Or I'm bummed that Zach couldn't be with us today. He and I have worked together on and off for, for years, and he's very talented. Um, he managed the dialogue and, and the ADR supervision, and I was managing the design, but he and I were constantly working together, sending material back and forth almost on a daily basis and figuring out what worked and what didn't. We had to do a lot of navigating between, are we using real animal sounds? Are we using loop group animal sounds? There are a few animals that are a hybrid where he's designing the loop, I'm designing the effects, or my team's designing effects, and we're putting those things together. So it was an extremely collaborative project with all departments working together. I would, I would add, just like for me personally, I love working on animation. I've done a lot of, I mean, I'm coming up for my 10 year anniversary in this lovely country. And I spent my first few years doing an awful lot of low budget horror, people being killed, slashed, you know, <laughs> all kinds of things. And it's great to do stuff that I can show my kids. I mean, my kids are now getting, I've got 12 and 14, so now they're watching the, the slash stuff. But it's lovely to do stuff that is universally watched. It's great to be working on those scale of movies, these projects that we're all involved with, and also that medium whereby so many people get to see it. It's, it's great. It really is fun to be able to recommend something that you're working on to everyone you yeah. know mm -hmm. and to all of your family members, regardless of age, experience, or political proclivities. Yeah, taste, <laughs> taste in films. Yeah, absolutely. Things like that. And it's just like, oh, you should go see this movie. It's terrific. It's Because fun. it's a good movie. Yeah. It's yeah. a great story. And that's, I think, really beneficial to what the art form as a whole is, is doing, is it's continuing to grow. It's continuing to show that it's relevant. And it has, like we've talked about a lot, the excitement, the detail, the emotion. Comedy. Com exactly. Yeah. That's one of the things that really drew Jesse, I, and Ando really into the movie of DC Super Pets. Our whole crew, including Stephanie and Chase and our mixers, Tim and Dean, it was just like, this movie has all of these great things. It's really well told. It's a great movie. It happens to be animated. Yeah, and I think people need to get past that, that it's always oh, it animated movie. Oh, I'm not mm -hmm. interested. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of great storytelling going on in animated films these yeah. days, and it has been for a long time. And you can go all the way back to The Incredibles is one that really sticks out to me mm -hmm. as being a, just a great movie. It doesn't matter that it was animated or could have been live action, but it's just a great movie. It's super exciting, great characters. You know, really Terrific performances. Actually, I was going to say, and great sounding. I mean, I yeah. distinctly remember seeing, I guess it must have been the first Toy Story, as a, as a young, very young adult, and knowing that I wanted to work. I came out of the cinema thinking, oh, man, one day I'd love to work on something like that. I, bizarrely, I still don't feel like I am at that point. I mean, I, <laughs> I really don't. But there's been such a great lineage of amazing sounding animated movies over the course of you know however many years 
and to possibly be part of that, uh, and I say that in a very, very um, mm-hmm. you know, non-egotistically, but to, to think that we are all having a part in that ongoing process is, is great. It's lovely. Yeah. They're just as challenging as they are fun. You know, you go way outside the box, but you also have to ground it. I think it's a super fun mix to work on. Mm-hmm. Me too. Thank you very much for uh, talking to me today. This was really awesome. Thanks to Tammy for recording us. Thanks, Tammy. Thank <laughs> awesome. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you all soon, hopefully. Once again, a big thanks to Tammy Treadwell and everyone at Warner Brothers for hosting this talk. Remember, if you are in Toronto, come on out to our sound design meetup this coming Tuesday, September 26th at 7 p.m. It'll be at The Pilot, which is near Bay and Bloor. Head up to their top floor balcony to hang out with the sound community in Toronto. New York listeners, you're up next as we have a New York City gathering on October 26th at the Crompton Alehouse in Chelsea. This episode was edited and mixed by Keith Morrison. As a sound recordist, Keith works on short drama and sound effects creation, as well as utilizing his skills in post-production as an audio editor. You can contact him through his website, morrisonproductionsound.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening to Tonebenders. See you next time. Tonebenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. 